What we have here is a failure to communicate. You're damn right. This is the this is the best line of the movie, right? Well, yeah, that is the line of the movie. Yeah, I didn't realize this that line was from this movie. Me either, and I've heard it before in a lot of other movies and shows. In, like, everyday life. Life, yeah, and I didn't know. I Who would have known? Even the music. The music was also surprising to me. A lot of this music is really good. Yeah. Um, I'd heard the theme before, and I just never knew what movie it was, and then hearing it in this, I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. It, fi- it finally makes sense. It makes sense. And you know what? I think we need to help our audience make sense of what we're talking about. Uh, yes, because we are the Film Club Podcast. That's right, the Film Club Podcast, where every week the movie couple talks about movies. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And this month we're going through November. So that's movies you've never seen before that are new to your hosts. And we talk about it. And the movie we're talking about this week is... Cool Hand Luke. Yes, Cool Hand Luke, starring Paul Newman, George Kennedy, and directed by Stuart Rosenberg in a directorial debut, I believe. Is it? It's either his directorial debut or his, like, first three. It's very early in his career as a uh, director. Yeah, I saw that he did a lot of TV. A lot of TV. So it's a good mix of TV and movies, and it's interesting if it is his directorial I mean, this is a a banger to be your first film. I mean, it was nominated for, I think, four Oscars. Uh, Two acting Oscars, a screenplay Oscar, and I think film or director. It was nominated for a lot this year. I don't think it was nominated for best film. I think it was a thing where Paul Newman was nominated. It was, you know, actors and screenwriting, but it didn't get the best picture. Which, a little surprising? Yeah, because this was a really good movie. It was very, very good. But granted, this also came out in a, a stacked year. Uh, this movie comes out in 1967. Uh, you want to know what other movies came out that year? Sure. Uh, in the Heat of the Night, which won Best Picture that year. Yeah. Sidney Poitier, mm-hmm. Roger Snyder's very good movie. Yeah. Uh, also, The Graduate. Ah. Oh, uh, Dustin that... Hoffman, kind of one of the most influential films of the new Hollywood era. I mean, you went through a phase where you were watching that movie like every week. That movie is so good. But the other movie that came out this year was Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, with Warren Beatty and... Um, Faye Dunaway. Yeah. The movie that is officially credited as starting the new Hollywood era. That's right. A kind of a strong year. Kind of a strong year. But Cool Hand Luke is a pretty good movie. It's pretty, pretty good. A kind of a really good movie. It is, and I uh, we were having our pre-recording talk, and both of us were like, you know what this movie feels like? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It, oh my god. This movie feels like the prototype of Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Like, um, Paul Newman is playing Jack Nicholson from Cuckoo's mm-hmm. Nest. Jack Nicholson's a little bit more crazy and manic, but they're they're the same kind of character. They're bringing hope to this hopeless world. Mm-hmm. The collective group of guys in each movie have their own little quirks and knacks and whatever. And, yeah, and the villain is just society, corporatization, people, the system, man. Yeah. I I think I like Cuckoo's Nest better, but this is a really good movie. Yeah, because, I mean, I think the entirety of the movie, we're in the prison. Apart from just the very beginning where we see why he gets arrested. And the times he escapes. And the times he escapes. But the majority is in this prison, kind of like with Cuckoo's Nest, where we're in the facility. 
But I feel like there's just so many characters in Cuckoo's Nest in this one. It's like, you get breakaway characters in this film, but it's it's all about Luke. It's a very tight cast. Yeah. Because uh, I believe the main cast for the movie is not that many people. No. There's like five people that are speaking roles that are very important to the story. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them are really like bona fide extras. Like Harry Dean Stanton is in this movie, mm-hmm. which a young Harry Dean Stanton is kind of kind of wild. Yeah. You have Dennis Hopper in this movie, and they're playing like supporting roles in the chorus of people. And we just talked about Harry Dean Stanton in uh, Escape from New York. Also, we talked about Dennis Hopper last year when we did Giant, which and I think was his first movie. Or it was no. an early movie, because he did Rebel Without a Cause before Yeah, that. he did Rebel Without a Cause before Giant. So yeah, it was interesting to see him and they're like, oh my god, Dennis Hopper's in it. And um, where is he on the list? Blind Dick, played by Richard Davalos. Mm-hmm. He was in East of Eden with James Dean. Oh, really? Yeah, he plays his older brother, Aaron. Ooh, is, is the picture for his Wikipedia from East of Eden? Yes, it is. Of course it is. I love this era of movies, like that mid to late 50s into like the 60s, like basically right before New Hollywood came out. Where you see a lot of these actors who are transforming from the studio system into what would eventually become New Hollywood. And they all intermingle a lot. It's a trip. It's like, oh, I know you from this movie and this movie. And you're with him in this movie? Like, what? Because there's still that holdover from the studio system where if you worked for a studio, you worked on everything from that studio. You made like six movies a year. Yeah. What is it? Um, George Kennedy, he who won supporting actor for this movie Mm -hmm. he did four movies this year and one of them was the dirty dozen yeah yeah pretty pretty good run also something else because this is the first time i've seen it this was my pick for november my first time watching too i always thought this was a western um i thought the word cool hand luke was like oh he's a a gunslinger gunslinger. Yeah. yeah well i mean also from like the promotional posters that we have where he's just you know chilling and he's got his feet kicked up it's the same as james dean and giant another and, movie i thought was an out and out western yeah so it's like i can see you know where where you would get that impression and i was kind of in the same boat where i'm like this could be a western he could be a cowboy that's in prison mm. what did this cowboy do no he's just a cool guy yeah and also the movie takes place in like the 50s yeah another weird thing because when the movie's talking about it i don't know if they ever say out loud what year it is but they mention that he's a war hero and i'm like is he like, is Paul Newman supposed to be a nom vet? Is that, is that what this is? And I found out later no. that it's a World War, he's a World War II vet. Yeah, yeah, this is before nom, so it would have to be Second World War. He just has like a laundry list of just accolades. You know, he's got like three Purple Hearts. Um, a medal, a medal of Valor, I think a Silver Star. And even, you know, his fellow inmates kind of look at him like, you, really? That That's you? You're decorated and you're in here with the rest of us? Yeah. And uh, we should probably tell people what the movie's actually about, yeah. right? See, everybody, we're doing it early. We're doing it in the first ten minutes this time. I mean, I think some people would appreciate we just ramble and ramble, and then, like, you know, maybe 50 minutes in. Let us give you the plot of this movie. Let's let people know what the movie's about. Yeah. But this movie is about Luke Jackson, played by Paul Newman, who is brought in on charges of vandalism of municipal property for destroying parking meters. And after the trial, he is sent down to a hellish southern work farm. There, he meets up with Dragline, the captain, 
uh, Shorty, the group of prisoners that are being oppressed by the captain, the bosses, and the man with no eyes. The cruel Mephistopheles that lords over them as they work the roads. Just creepy. Very creepy. And while he is down there, his rebellious attitude, winning charm, and Paul Newman smile brings hope (laughs) and some semblance of freedom to this hell. And the movie goes from there. You can kind of beat it out from that point. But that's the gist of the movie. Yeah. I do recommend people watch it. I can open with that. But what about this movie did you like? I liked everything. I mean, apart from... <laughs> Very descriptive. A- apart from, you know, hey, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the experience. The only thing I didn't enjoy was seeing, you know, Paul Newman get roughed up. He gets the shit kicked yeah, out of Yeah, and it's not just like, oh, a once or twice kind of thing. No, throughout the movie, he is constantly getting his ass handed to him. Mm-hmm. And, and just... he doesn't give up. No, and I love that about his character that, you know, especially like when they have the boxing match mm-hmm. and he's just getting the shit knocked out of him. And it's just, he keeps standing and everyone's telling him, you know, stay down. And that's just not him. And I love that, that scene because it's an early scene in the movie. Yeah. Probably the first 30 minutes. Yeah, because I think he's still fairly new to the prison yeah and that's like him earning the respect Mm -hmm. and that's that scene and i really like that scene because as they're fighting because it's um dragline and luke and they're beating each other up and the whole crowd is cheering they're like oh whoop his ass kick his ass and luke falls down and he keeps getting back up and slowly the crowd is like man this this isn't fun anymore this isn't right can you stop luke just just lay down Leave like, him alone. We're, you ain't got no bitch in your blood. We get it. Just just lay down. It's fine. It's over. And he just doesn't. He just keeps moving forward. Mm-hmm. He just keeps getting the shit kicked out of him. Because there ain't no quit in in Luke. No. And that scene really encapsulates him as a character. And I think that's probably one of the better scenes in the movie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, apart from the scenes where, you know, he's running away. And I love those scenes where it's just, you know, he's outsmarting the dogs, he's outsmarting the cops, then they drag him back, and it's just kind of like, Luke's back, alright, cool, whatever, and he he goes back to working on the line, and it's like, I'm gonna do it again later. Oh, of course. I'll give them a couple of days, and I'm out. And that's, I think, a great part about the movie is Paul Newman, because Paul Newman's great in this movie. Oh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen too many Paul Newman movies, but the ones that I have seen him in, he's phenomenal. Paul Newman is so weird of a movie star when I think about it. Because he's he didn't pass away all that long ago. I think he lived up until like 2008-ish, I think. Yeah, 2008. So he And he was a movie star his whole, his whole life. Yeah. Because he did The Hustler back in like the 50s. He did Cool Hand Luke in 67. 69, Butch Casting the Sundance mm-hmm. Kid. He did The Sting in like 73, I think. Think. he was you know i was looking through there he did stuff like cars so he did stuff a lot oh, he recently. did voiceover work near the end yeah. yeah so it's like you know he was working all the way up through the end i i got a question what makes paul newman a movie star because there's there's a difference between like an actor yeah. a celebrity and a movie star and paul newman's a movie star he's a movie star he just has that it factor there's just something about him where it's just you're attractive, you're interesting, you're a good actor. Mm-hmm. 
he's got the whole package and I think that's what kind of seals him in as being a movie star because he's just got so many different you know elements and shades to him that it's just like yeah I keep learning new stuff about you and I'm loving you more and more Mm -hmm. also it kind of helps he has a very unique look to him yeah because he you look at me he's a handsome man but he's not like so handsome that it's like unreal no. It's not like a like a Ryan Gosling where you're like, you're not, are you actually people? Were you made in a lab? He's just that beautiful. It's, it's weird. It's weird. But yeah, Paul Newman, watching him in this movie, because there's the scene where his, it's right after his mother passes away mm-hmm. and he sings Plastic Jesus on the banjo. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the Oscar scene. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. He's like, starts tearing up. He's choking up and he's trying to play through it. And it's it's such a beautiful scene and a great display of him as an actor. Yeah, and uh, actually that scene's kind of interesting because uh, Harry Dean Stanton taught uh, Paul Newman how to play the, the banjo for that scene. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a thing where uh, the director, Stuart Rosenberg, wanted it to look, you know, real. And Paul Newman being the same, he's like, yeah, I, I want to play this for myself i don't want it to be a voiceover or a recording we don't want to adr it later yeah so it was a thing where he's like i'll learn it and he was just having a hard time picking it up because the banjo is not an easy instrument to learn you know that it's the fastest instrument on the planet that's that's not even a joke like the notes per minute you can do on a banjo it's faster than any other instrument yeah so it was the thing where he was struggling and i guess paul newman and the director ended up getting into a couple of arguments because he just wasn't picking it up. It was delaying recording. And I think the last day that they were filming the movie, that's when they got the Plastic Jesus a scene where he was just sitting there playing and crying. And I'm like, yeah. When I saw the movie, I'm like, this would be on the roll, on the cut, going to the Academy to, you know, this is, you know, for your consideration. It's surprising to me that he missed out on Best Actor for this movie. Because I think he's nominated like four or five times. He wins eventually for Color of Money. Yeah. As a best supporting actor, mm-hmm. I believe. But it, I'm surprised he didn't win for Cool Hand Luke. Granted, I think this is also the year I think Sidney Poitier is nominated, and I think Dustin Hoffman's nominated, Warren Beatty's nominated. Again, Cool it's Hand Luke. It's a stacked Luke, card that year. Yeah, Cool Hand Luke suffers from coming out in one of the most stacked years in cinema. Yeah, so I, I think it's a thing where it's like, I'd be happy with whoever you know, wins because there's just so many good actors that are mm-hmm. up for, you know, the award. And Paul Newman does put up an Oscar worthy performance in this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, where else do we want to move on to? Well, I think we have to talk about the, the cast of characters that we meet at the prison. Cause we only get Luke by himself in just that opening sequence when he's cutting off the heads of the parking meters. Parking I know meter. they don't exist anymore. Well, no, I wanted to call them mailboxes and I'm like, no, he's not out there cutting off, you know, mailboxes. He's out there cutting parking meters. And I'm like, why? And the scene just goes, he's just, you know, working it, you know, cutting off those meters one by one. And it, actually, that's a good question. Why does he do it? Actually, why does he do do a lot of things in this movie? I think they ask him when he gets to the prison, right? And he said, like, you know... Had a small town and needed it, something to do. He's like, I was drunk. I thought it was funny. And I was like, maybe one. But then he keeps going, and you're seeing that he's struggling, you know, with those last few... He's, he's taking down, like, six of them. I think it, that one goes into the theme. He's very anti-establishment. Yeah. Like, a parking meter is one of the pettiest things of the system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I have to pay to park my car, and if I don't, I get a ticket on a public street? 
And if I park my car in front of one that's broken, I'm getting a ticket. Yeah, so he's breaking these these things. He's breaking down these pieces of the system in like his small way. And then when he goes to the prison, he's again being this rebellious person that's trying to, you know, rebel against the system. And eventually leads to him getting getting got. Yeah, the the town that they filmed that in, they actually kept the the parking meter poles like that where they were cut for the movie. Oh, really? So you could go and you could visit and it was just a bunch of, you know, cut poles and she's like okay this is from pull hand luke awesome oh, that's cool i don't know if that's still there but i don't know i mean the movie's coming up on 60 years old it's like 50 something i know that it's been around for a while yeah yeah the other thing i wanted to bring up about that because it's a there's a lot of themes in the movie yeah he's very anti-establishment there's a whole like religious theme of him as like a redeemer as a christ figure uh, there's a lot of references as the prison as a hellscape. Yeah, I was very shocked. I was like, okay, we're just gonna get this prison movie, and like these, you know, these inmates they band together and they form like a family. And I was like, oh no, like we're getting very religious in this movie. Oh yeah, I, I mean, how many prison movies have you seen? I I used to be on like a kick. Because I watched Prison Break as a kid, and I thought I, that was cool. I mean, you're always on a kick of things, so I'm sure I haven't seen as many as you have. <laughs> I mean, like, the ones I've seen are, like, the popular ones, like Great Escape and um, Escape from Alcatraz and, like, a yeah. few other ones. But this one feels really unique because mm -hmm. it is very open with the religious allegory and religious stuff. And also... Paul Newman Luke is in for the most petty reason. Yeah. Where it's like... That should be maybe, I don't know, maybe like a week or two in jail and you pay fines and possibly parole, but it's like two years in prison? Yeah. Like in Shawshank Redemption, oh, Andy Dufresne's in for murder yeah. one and he's like staring down 25 years. Paul Newman, he's in there for, you know, messing up telephone pole or light or... Uh, I'm, polls he's in there for polls and then he's like got a two-year stretch and he still escapes prison after they're like hey if you try and escape the camp that's five years tacked on to the end of your sentence and he does it three times yeah and the third they tell him if you escape we're just gonna kill you yeah we're gonna kill you as soon as you if we find you and you're running out you know past the yard we're just gonna shoot you dead and the other thing is like drag line he goes with him the, his final time on the escape. He, and even Dragline's like, you know, I was only staring down another eight months, a year, and I would have gone home. I'm, so close. Now I I got another five years on my sentence just because I couldn't contain myself when I saw the car going by. And that's something interesting. We are so desperate for freedom, even when the consequences are incredibly dire, we'll still go for it. Well, I mean, considering, you know, the conditions that they live in and the the livelihoods that they have where it's just, you're working this line and I think they get, what is it, one day a week or half a day? Uh, uh, I think it's like the weekends. They work Monday through Friday and where they just t tar a road, clear roadside, break rocks, dig trenches. You know, it's not like other prison movies or shows where they're in their cell the majority of the time and mm. then, you know okay, maybe they're going to have some duties around the prison. Like, no, this is hard, laboring, backbreaking work. Yeah, this is the old school, you know, here's your hammer and here's your pick and you're going to dig an irrigation trench for 400 miles. While being on a chain gang, so 
you're not moving too far, you're not moving too comfortably. Yeah, and that this also kind of reminded me of Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Because yeah. they're on a chain gang. Mm-hmm. And I think John should is it John Totoro? I believe I believe it's John Totoro. He makes a comment, you know, when uh George Clooney finally admits he's like, Yeah, you know, I wasn't in here for robbing any banks, I was in here for faking a medical license. I just needed to get out so I can blah blah blah. And John Totoro's like I was going to get out in, in eight months. Now, they're going to put me back in for 32 years. I'll be 64 when I get out of prison because of you. And that's Dragline. He's, yeah. Is Dragline, like, the institutionalized man at this point where he's now just looking for ways to make his stay longer? Yeah, it's kind of this thing where you're, okay, I'm going to get out. And then, you know, that realization, well, what am I going to do when I get out? Uh, I'm kind of used to what I'm doing here every day. I've got friends. Brooks from Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, so it's just, you kind of feel bad for him where it's just, yeah, I'm not ready to go yet. I'll I'll add on some more time. It'll it'll be okay. Yeah, because Dragline runs the prison. He runs the prison. He can't read. Yes, which is a weird facet because it's, because throughout the movie, he's always just telling people, hey, read this for me or, Mm -hmm. or, or whatnot. And that adds a lot to his character because mm-hmm. it's because now he's not just, oh, he runs this prison. He's somebody who's really uneducated and we don't really know why he's in prison. No, his character's ever really explained or explored. Yeah, but it, it starts to feel like, oh, he's like somebody who's in prison because he's uneducated. It's something dumb or it's like, has he been in here so like he didn't know how to read when he was like. 17 and he's just been in and out of prison for so long he just never learned to read could be because this does play takes place in the south yeah and this it's takes, in florida yeah it's, it takes place in like florida and in that part of florida mm-hmm. that's still the south because yeah what is it like the northern part of florida it's just alabama with a beach yeah look florida whatever that's basically florida I, i've never been I know you loved Florida and the humidity when you went. Oh, Florida was rough. Oh, my God. They had 20-minute monsoons. That was the rainy season. But the thing is, is this takes place in, like, the 50s. Mm -hmm. And Dragline looks in the movie to be, what, in his 40s, 50s, or whatever? Yeah, it's kind of hard to pin him. You know, it's like, could be younger, could be older. Could be in the middle somewhere. We're in this stage of Hollywood where every man looked like he was either 22 or 57 and there was no in between. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's playing a father of four and the oldest is like 21. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm really, you know, 25 at the time. And it's like, you, sir, you're you're 25? Well, that's the thing. That was like the James Dean thing, right? We're, we're, for you? We're, we're, yeah, I think for a lot of people, you watch him play... Um, the guy in Rebel Without a Cause, and you're like, man, he looks a little old to play a teenager. Like, I don't, I don't know. Is he like 30 something? Like, how old is he? Then he's like, he's like 25 or whatever. 24 or 23, somewhere in there. And it's like, what? But but we've we've talked about that before where, you know, this, you know, era, a lot of people looked a lot older than they were. And it was just like. The the booze and cigarettes, man. Yeah. That'll do that. I mean. That was the thing for the longest time. You'd watch, you know, a sitcom and people are smoking and it's just like, don't do that. <laughs> oh <laughs> just God. Put them down. Who who was it? There was there was an actress, and I don't know who it was, who wanted her voice to be more like have like a nice raspy, deeper tone, so she smoked like three packs a day. 
I I can't I remember have who no it idea was. Who that is. It might it might have been like Catherine Hepburn for all I know. But there was one. It was a famous actress who wanted to make her voice sound a certain way because she thought it was more attractive. Yeah. So she smoked like three packs a day to get it. But I, I'd have to look it up. I I don't know. Well, I'll find it later. And you know, for people that want a raspy voice, do not smoke three packs a day. <laughs> it's a bad idea. But let let's hit some um I guess the standouts in the in the supporting cast because yeah. Dragline played by George Kennedy he's the big standout yeah and really good actor because he's in a lot of stuff after this he's in the the Naked Gun series yeah I went through his filmography and I was just like wow you did a lot of stuff in your career too yeah and he passed away in like 2016 yeah recently which again he was like 91. And the guy worked all... He was an Ernest Borgnine type. Just worked all the way to the end. That's right. Strong stock, this generation. It was good stuff. Uh, and then, who who else is in there? Uh, you have Dennis Hopper, who plays Babalugats, the Bat and, Bamboo. And he's constantly, like, you know, doing the Donald Duck thing and singing. And there you just, you know, smacking him around, like, shut up already. He's He is playing the goofball. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. What is his deal? Because he is... Yeah, I granted. I think Dennis Hopper in this is is actually like thirty, but he looks like he's seventeen. Yeah, he looks really young. I think he's. Who knows what he did? It, it would be nice if they kind of elaborated. You know, like when Luke gets there and everyone's kind of talking and oh, I'm in for this or you know I've done that because I mean he just comes across as like the annoying younger brother, mm. like especially when they have the shower scene. And they're all in there, and he's making, you know, noises, and they're like, you know, you're blocking the hot water, move out of the way. Is, is he, like, mentally ill, or no, I think deficient, he's, or what? No, I think he's just goofy. He's just weird? Yeah. Because <laughs> I also noticed this, that I don't know if he talks in the movie. I don't know if he has, like, real lines or dialogue with other people. Not that I can remember. I mean, we both just saw this for the first time last night, so... Yeah. It's kind of hard, you know, you're trying to absorb everything. I think he says, you know, something, maybe a line in the movie. But well, he, I think he has lines, but I don't think he has dialogue with people. I think he, people refer to him as like, Baba Lou God, do something. And he says like a thing, and then he does the Donald Duck voice and kind of like fucks off. Yeah. Or there, somebody else is having a conversation and he's in the background, does his Donald Duck thing, and then he just disappears. Also, the first time he did it, I legit thought like my stream was fucking up. I thought, like, the sound cut out, and, like, or something messed up. No, I was just kind of like, what, Donald Duck? And I was just like, oh, okay, he's just doing that. Well, well, the thing is, when it happens for the first time, it's, like, them in the yard and they're walking, and it's just the Donald Duck screech. Yeah. With no one in the frame. Yeah. And it's like, well, where did that come from? And it's not for, like, five minutes later till you see him doing it. And it's like, that's really weird. That's, that's like, a weird, like, director direction thing, where it's, like, when they're composing the movie, where they set it in. That's just, like, a weird thing. Which, this is Rosenberg's, like, first movie, I mean, so it's y- fine. you also had your gripes with some of the cinematography in this movie. It was one shot. It was, there was, like, one or two shots that I thought were really oddly composed. One of them was the tar scene, when they're going through, and the whole thing is Luke rallies the crew... Mm-hmm to finish the tarring the road because he knows if they do it fast, then they just get to chill for however long. I think they said they got off two hours early. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, two hours where we don't have to do anything. And it's just like, yeah, you know, 
two hours mm. of free time. A free time, yeah. Which also their free time, you know, playing cards, having a cold drink, playing music. It's it's really interesting that when the prison's not, you know, working them on the road, it's relative. It's like a summer camp. That's the vibe that I was getting. It was like you know, a summer camp for like the bad boys. So it's like okay, we're gonna send them them off to the summer camp where they're gonna you know conform and learn to behave. But then you have the some of the counselors where I was like. Well, I kind of like the kids, you know, I'm going to talk to them like, you know, we're going to we're going to get the kids together. We're going to rally in the third act and win the big, you know, camp playoff at the end. Yeah, because you have the the orderly you know, that they talk to and, you know, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to get down. Yeah, go ahead. And just kind of walks through them, gets in on some of the bets. Even the cook gets in on some of the bets. And it's just like, I, I that's another thing. The prison as it functions it really, it really doesn't feel like a normal prison movie, right? No. Because the tropes of most prison movies is it's like, oh, the guy comes in and there's the the one guy who's like super violent. He's stabbing people, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, the showers. Oh, it's a dangerous thing. Yeah. And this is way different. It does feel like, oh, no, they're like at a summer camp. Yeah. You know, the hard parts, like the real like fucked up like sadist stuff is all on the road. And the box. And the box. You sit too long in the morning, that's the box. You spill your drink, go in the box. You forget your pants, in the box. You sit on my newspaper, in the box. That's the that's the comedy bit in the movie. That's when the movie's like, look, this is old Hollywood filmmaking here. Every movie has to have a little bit of a comedy in it. And I was like, how long are they going to stretch this out with how many things can we do before we go in the box? That guy monologues for so goddamn long. Oh my god. Because they are being, Luke and the crew that he's being, you know, arrested with, they go in and they're getting changed. And the orderly guy just goes this laundry list of Mm -hmm. shit. And it's weird minutia. And it's weird bullshit. And none of it is, like, being explained. He's like, you know, oh, when you change your sheets, if your clean sheet goes in the dirty bin, then you go to the box. You forget and, your number, you go in the box. And they, and he's like, any questions? And he's like, if we ask questions, do we go in the box? And he's like, and that's the box right there for back talk. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's shit like that. And the box is, like, you know. The hole. The hole, yeah. It's this big-ass, uh, like, outhouse-looking thing where you go with, a bucket mm-hmm. and another bucket and you're in like a gown and you, you're just in there for however long they want you to. And that's a really like, like sadistic thing to do. Yeah. Uh, the, and the other thing, like, let's talk about like, I guess the prison prison for a second, because yeah, the prisoners, they're in like this summer camp, but it's still very oppressive. The captain is almost like, completely removed from running it it's just the bosses that are doing it and at first you're like oh you know the captain seems kind of goofy and weird ah you know maybe maybe the bosses are just cruel maybe Mm -hmm. the captain's you know gonna be the the hero in like the third act and kind of like fix everything and then he's not and then he's like we here got a failure to communicate and then he beats the shit out of luke and then you're like oh no i guess he's the evil one and you have the man with no eyes yeah, who's very creepy. Yeah, that's... Is it Boss Godfrey? Is that his name? 
I have no idea. <laughs> it really sucks because there's so many people who whose name are like Boss Paul, Boss Shorty, Boss Keen. Well, I mean, also some of the pictures that they use, we're looking at IMDb right now, and it's just, they either have headshots from people in their prime or their most current images. And it's just like, it's hard to tell. It's like, well, are you this person or are you someone else in the cast? It's like, who are you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I I just checked. It is uh, Boss Godfrey. Godfrey, okay. And he wears these mirror sunglasses so you can't see his eyes. He never says a word. The only thing he does is he raises his cane and somebody brings him his rifle. Yeah. And he has an ace with that rifle. And it's so scary and unsettling because he'll shoot like animals or critters or whatever that Mm -hmm. are hanging out or like trying to like get away from them. And he's like, nothing gets away from Boss Godfrey. Yeah. It's just, you know, animals in their own surrounding living their own lives. And he's just like, no, I'm going to kill it just because I can. Because he doesn't want them to go free. No, and he's just, you know, this sadistic, scary human being. Yes, he's he's not even human. Actually, that's something that I wanted to bring up. So much of the prison guards are inhuman people. Yeah. Like, all the bosses on the road, there's nothing humanizing about them. They're all either incredibly cruel or incredibly disassociated from what's going on. I mean, you have the one boss, the one prison guard, who tells Luke, oh, I'll say a prayer for you, you know, for your mom because she passed. Yeah. And he's putting her, him in the box like, look, Luke, I'm sorry, but this is my job. You know, it's just, is how it is. Mm-hmm. And he's, and that's it. He's the only one that's even slightly humanized to show any, and I mean, any semblance of humanity. That that was also weak, you know, putting him in the box because, oh, you might run because your mom died. It's like, no, you guys have been itching to put him in the box for any reason. And this is the first time he, they gave, he gave him a reason? Yeah, it's like, let's, you know, throw you in here because you might possibly run to her funeral. It's like, no. I think he would have been totally okay in the prison. And then this was just kind of, you know, the spark to, well, if they're going to do this to me. Fuck it, let's act up and do stuff. Because that's the turning point. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because after that, that's when he's finally, like, uh, tries to escape, tries to really push the boundaries of what the prison wants him to do. Yeah. Like, he starts, what is it, talk like, sass-talking them? Mm-hmm. That's how they say it. He starts sassing them uh, a lot more. He gets to the point where they're, like, you're going to start digging a ditch after you've already worked all day Mm. all day and we're just gonna try and break you and that's and what he does is literally how people define you know madness or hell or whatever where you're just doing the same thing over and over again it has no purpose and you just can't stop and he's digging a ditch then fills the ditch up Mm -hmm. then digs the ditch back out and then fills the ditch back up over and over again and that finally breaks him yeah and that scene was so hard to watch because Paul Newman sells it so hard. Because you see Paul Newman and you're like, oh, this is like a cool guy. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, cool hand Luke, you know. Oh, he's he's Butch Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's he's Billy Badass over here. He, he ain't gonna break. He's too strong for him. And then he fucking breaks down. He starts to cry. He grovels at the boss's feet. He's asking him to not hit him anymore. Mm-hmm. He's weeping. He's weeping. And the whole group of prisoners look at him and they're like, 
shit. That, I don't think Luke's the one. I don't think Luke's the one that's, uh, that's actually gonna, gonna get us any good. And then they, like, all abandon him. And then right after that, he's, you know, they're on the road again. They're like, Luke, fetch the water. And he's like, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he starts trotting over. And he becomes, like, he becomes the bitch boy. Yeah, I mean, it's like he trained him, or he turned him into, like, a trained animal. Where it's like, okay, go fetch this, go fetch that. And he's excited. He shoots, what is it, like a snapping turtle? Uh, yeah. Godfrey. And then Luke, you know, hops in the river to go get it. And he's like, oh, look, he, you know. He's still biting down on the stick after you killed him. Isn't that cool? And it's just like, this is so not Luke. I'm like, what is going on here? And and then the reveal, it was not Luke. That's I was like, oh, thank you. It was all an act so mm-hmm. Luke could get into position to steal all the keys out of the trucks mm-hmm. and then steal a truck and disappear down the road. And that's, you know, when uh, Dragline jumps on and they disappear into the night and they're gone for a couple hours. Yeah. And that's another thing. You know, this it's a prison movie and in a prison movie, the uh, assumption for the most part is, oh, it's a prison escape movie. Yeah. Like most prison movies end with somebody escaping. Or dying. Or dying, yeah. And this movie has both. Yeah. And it goes back to the same question we asked earlier. It's like, why does Luke escape? Because, again, he's only staring down two years. And yeah. by the time he escapes the first time, what, he's staring down, what, a year, maybe? I think so. So, why does he escape so much? Is it is it is it the themes of the movie that he's just, he can't, he's one of these people who can't be caged? Like uh, McMurphy from Cuckoo's Nest, whose spirit's kind of so big, you can't keep them caged up because you cage up the bird it'll it'll die kind of thing i mean the impression that i got was you know okay he's willing to do his time he's making the most of his time there and the other prisoners are you know having a good time having him there but it's just the thing where you've done this to me you've wronged me now i must act up (laughs) and it's like that's that's what i feel like we get from him is just you know okay you've kind of uh pushed me to my wits end so I'm going to push you to yours and I'm going to run. And if you catch me, I'll wait and I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. <laughs> it's, it's it's the defiant mm-hmm. rebellion of the human spirit. Yeah. This is a good movie. It it's is. a good movie. It is. Uh, what, what else do we want to talk mean, about? I mean, I think we definitely have to talk about the egg scene. The egg scene. Now that you know what it is. And I, and I now realize that I finally get that reference from Malcolm in the Middle when they're at military school. Yeah. Yeah, because, what is it? There's an episode of Malcolm in the Middle where Malcolm's older brother, Francis, mm-hmm. is at, he's at military school, and they make a bet where he's like, I can eat a hundred of the of the peeps? Was mm-hmm. that what it was? Yeah. And they're like, no one can eat a hundred peeps. They're like, there's so much sugar. And and they and it's literally a line-for-line line ripoff yeah. of the egg scene from Cool Hand Luke, except exchange eggs for peeps. And I'm like... Well, which came first? The the chicken or the peep. Exactly. <laughs> And it's uh, and it's kind of a hilarious bit of bit of action in the movie because it's such a low a low stakes thing. It's a bet on if Luke can eat fifty eggs in an hour. Hard boiled eggs. Yes, which was a point of contention. You didn't say it was hard boiled. You didn't say he didn't have to eat the shell. You know, like that was. Uh, I mean, these guys are stuck in prison. They will bet anything. Why not have the newcomer, you know, 
eat 50 eggs. What is it going to do to me? Nothing. I might lose a couple bucks, but this guy's stomach might explode like a watermelon. We don't know. <laughs> There's so many YouTube channels on, like, yeah, on YouTube that talk about the people's experiences in prison. Yeah. And I found this out. Gambling in prison? This shit, 100% real. Yeah. There's one guy, I think it's the After Prison Show is the name of the YouTube channel. I mm-hmm. saw like one or two of the videos. And in one of them, he talks about somebody he knew as the coffee man. Mm-hmm. And they said, you can't eat a whole, you know, bag of coffee or a bag of espresso or whatever in an hour or whatever. Like literally is the same stakes as this. Yeah. And he was like, absolutely. So he sat, so he sits there with like a spoon oh, and eats God. a whole bag of espresso in in the hour. And the bet was literally, they were like, if I eat one bag of espresso, I get a bag of, es- of coffee from everyone else on the block. And he won. After he ate the whole bag of espresso in the hour, he washed it down by making another pot of espresso. A a nice, warm cup of coffee to wash it down. Because the man... He probably didn't sleep for like a month. They called him the coffee man because he was addicted to his coffee. But this seems like a rather common thing for prisoners to make really weird bets to pass the time. Because what else are you going to do? And you have people excited, you know, oh, his stomach might explode open. And I'm like, I don't think... It's going to burst open. It was like... He's probably going to vomit, though. Yeah. Which Paul Newman did. He only had to eat eight of them before he vomited. Yeah, that, that was the thing where I was like, well, how many did he actually make? Because Paul Newman seems like the kind of guy where it's like, well, I'll see how many I could do. I'm not going to do 50, but I'll see what I could do. And I was like, oh, eight? And I'm like, maybe it was just the way that he was eating them because it was like, puts the whole egg in there and, you know, practically tries to swallow the whole damn thing. Could, well, how many eggs could you eat? Hard-boiled? Yeah. I think the most I've had is, like, four. Maybe the top end is only, like, four or five? Because I, I don't like hard-boiled eggs. No, I'm very aware you hate hard-boiled eggs. I love hard-boiled eggs. And I was like, I'm like, could I eat 50? Probably not. And I think you would die. I know. And that's what, you know, everyone in the room was kind of hoping. They're like, oh, okay, he's either going to get sick, his stomach's going to explode, he's going to die. All right, I'll throw, like, a couple bucks in at it. And I like that scene because it's one of those things where it's so, it's so dumb, but it builds and it's kind of compelling. It's like the scene from Matilda. You've seen Matilda, right? Yes, yes. With the the cake, cake. with the chocolate cake Mm -hmm. scene. Yeah. Another thing this probably is, that's probably paying homage to Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke, Cool Hand Bruce. Because Bruce Bruce finished the cake. He did. Because he's a badass. Just like Luke. Just like Luke. I, oh god! I now I want to see the uh, the the sequel to Matilda where it's Cool Hand Bruce and it's him in like juvie with trench bolt now, and he's Cool Hand Luke. That's it. That's the movie. But with with this, that scene does a lot because like Luke already kind of earned the respect yeah. of everyone after the fight, but I think after this he earned like some love from the crew. And for him, this was just kind of like, well, we're bored. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And that just shows how cool he is. It's never, you know, he's being calculating or he's really trying. It's just, that's his demeanor. Yeah. And at the end where it's, this is where we get the biggest obvious Christ um, symbolism. I speak English, I swear. Where he, after he's done eating 50 hard-boiled eggs and everybody walks away and they're like, oh my god, I can't believe we did it. Pay up, bitches. Woo, money, money, money. 
he's lying on the picnic table, like, like, yeah. splayed out like Christ on the cross. He even has his ankles crossed, and I'm like, wow, they really <laughs> frame this up and have him in a, you know, in a tea, basically. I'm like, wow, this is, uh, this is something. And th- we get a lot of Jesus symbolism in the movie yeah. because the movie's trying to play Luke as a Christ figure. I mean, he sings, you know, plastic Jesus in it. Uh, I believe Harry Dean Stanton pl- sings uh, Grave Can't Hold My Body Down Yeah, in the movie. And that it's like a lot of references to like spiritualism, uh, Luke being kind of this saint, Luke coming into this hopeless place, coming into hell and bringing hope to all these people who are in hell basically because yeah. the the prison and the road and everything it all feels this very hellish landscape everything is so ungodly cruel and hot and gross that they exist in and everything they see that might give them a a semblance mm-hmm. of freedom or a semblance of hope or a semblance of something beyond the walls of these of this prison is something they can never reach like it's that's just right there like that's the uh the the girl scene oh man <laughs> that scene was uh what did you watch that and you were like ah so this is where the women leave the audience i see i mean i wasn't expecting that at all i'm like of course you have to throw in you know some ogling some ogling and also you know another uh part of religion temptation yeah. And that's how I was like, okay, we've, we've got, you know, the temptation of this woman who, you know, goes out there and washes the car to rile them up. But, I mean, this was just, like... <laughs> Remember those Carl's Jr.'s commercial yes. from the early 2000s where it was, like... The girls in the bikinis washing the cars and eating a, a burger at the same time on the car. And just splashing it, and it's all over their tits. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, we know what you're doing here. Yeah. And I, that's the thing, because... Um, the character I think she's referred to as Lucille. Yeah. Because they're like pine girls, like only ooh anybody as pretty as that or close as tight as that you can only call her Lucille. And it's like she doesn't even have a name. She's her name just could have been like Joan, Joan, Joanne, <laughs> Sarah, Phyllis, for all I know. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. They see this you know beautiful woman. And she's cleaning this car, or whatever. It's very you know sexualized, very tantalizing, mm-hmm. very you know these guys have been in prison for so long. They ain't seen a woman in fucking years. Some of them. So they're like, look, that's just on the other side of the glass. It's so close yet so very, very far away. I love the also the follow-up scene where they all like... Have to go to the bathroom. Half of them mm-hmm. are like, going to the bathroom here, boss. Yeah, going to the bathroom here too, boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too, boss. Like, sit the fuck down. I know uh, what y'all going in there for. That's what I was laughing. I was like, oh that's my That's the scene God. y'all doing in there. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you know, you have temptation. Uh, even the egg scene, that's, you know, a sin. That's gluttony. Yeah. And it was just like, there's so many... Uh, Very religious reli- things. Religious symbolism things. It was just like, wow. I mean, it makes sense in a 60s movie, because in the 50s and the 60s, they're like, we're cool with this. You want to show religion, we're cool with this. And now it's kind of like, no, we got to tone it down. Well... But I mean, you know, coming in, it's like, I wasn't expecting it at all. And I don't think it takes away from the story. No, I well, because I think that's kind of the point of the story a little bit. And yeah, in the 50s and the 60s, you know, religion was a really big part of like that was a lot of symbolism in movies was, hey, we want to, you know, 
put some Christ imagery into the movie because mm-hmm. it's, you know, oh, if we make the hero like a Jesus type, you know, comes in and saves the people. Yeah, the, the people are going to be on their side because yeah. people love Jesus, right? Yeah. And it's just like, I think people just got sick of the shtick. And the 70s, again, New Hollywood changed everything. All the heroes of the New Hollywood era became way more nuanced and way darker. And they changed a lot. But with and, this, it's it's a lot more on the surface. Yeah. And with I mean, everything. Even the, the girl that does the, the car wash scene. Yeah. She came in, she saw the movie when it premiered, and she she said in an interview that she was so embarrassed because she was told just to wash the car. And she's like, that's what I did. She's like, I, I washed the car. And she goes, and I thought it was weird, you know, the day of filming, where I think it was the director and a producer or a writer, they asked her if she wanted to get stoned before she started washing the car so she could really get into it. And she's like, um... <laughs> the 60s. She's like, no, but... Thanks. I'm just gonna go wash the car. Oh, the and, '60s were a different time. And I was just like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> oh my lord! Also, you want to know how many eggs they had to make for that scene? Oh God, I, I don't th- know. Did they not make that many? They made two hundred hard. What the hell? Eggs. Well, I mean, you know, you've got drag line that's peeling for you know his boy, my boy. He's my not boy gonna... Luke. Oh, my boy Luke out here. He gonna <laughs> eat himself. You know, not just 50, 100 eggs if he has to. He, they're going to be perfect eggs, and they had to make 200 so that every time they were peeled, they were perfect eggs. So the rest of the cast ate the eggs, because, you know, you're not going to let them go to spoil. You may as well, you know... Yeah, that, that's which, just crafties for the day. Yeah, spread the love, which turned into the next day of filming, everyone had gas. And that <laughs> place just blew up. Jesus. That was, that was like, yeah, help. It's like <laughs> that's a funny thing because the movie the movie feels like a studio film right yeah. you know paul newman big cast they got this built assess or whatever but watching it i'm like this really feels like kind of a nitty-gritty production mm-hmm. you know because it's like yeah they have the sets they have the, the talent but so much of it looks like it was sourced yeah it was shot in stockton so yeah it's just shot up in the California, Central California. Yeah, so, you know, shot, I mean, not, like, up the road from the studios, but, you know, up, you know, more where there's more, like, farmland, so you Very could, rural. Yeah, so you could build, you know, practical sets where you have your prison facade and, you know, the interiors, and that's what it feels like. It feels like a very real place. Yeah, and what is it? It was so real that uh, I think a building manager, he's driving down the road and sees the prison set <laughs> built up, and he's like, Oh, that's strange. Huh? Must have been uh, something from, you know, like an old farming thing or an old work mm-hmm. camp or whatever. And let me go over and have a look at it. And he condemned it because, like, this ain't up to code. Ah, this whole whole place looks like some rundown prison. And they were like, oh, that's exactly what we were going for. Then you have, you know, the, the producers and the actors. That's what we're doing. You know, we're oh. we're pretending to be prisoners. Yes. Oh. But yeah, it's it's one of those funny things about this movie because it looks... So much like a new Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. And it's surprising that this movie doesn't get the same kind of credit that like a graduate, a Bonnie and Clyde gets or an Easy Rider gets. Because, you know, right after, right after this, Dennis Hopper goes from this movie and makes um, Easy Rider like the next year. and yeah. six Or next two years, I think. Easy Rider 68 or 69, I forget. But, you know, this is kind of like that last transition point between... 
what old Hollywood studio filmmaking looked like to what new Hollywood filmmaking kind of looked like a few yeah. years later. And it's it's a really good movie. And that ending is kind of perfect. Definitely, because we have him being, you know, this basically wild child where we see him, you know, with his mother and it's just kind of, you know, her explaining, you know, well, you've always been this way and that one time you brought home a girlfriend you were serious about, you were so boring and, you know, we were glad when you got rid of her. So, you know, he comes from a, a wild background and finally at the end he kind of, you know, comes full circle and talks to God and he's like, okay, he's like, I accept it. You know, you never really, you know, had me in the cards and I've gone through a lot of struggles. I finally accept that this is my life. Yeah. And as soon as he finally accepts his station, mm -hmm. that is when he is stricken down by by Godfrey. And Well, I mean, before that, it's dragline. And he laughs and he's like, of course God would send you to me. Uh, of course God would send the Judas. <laughs> yeah. And that's even in an article that I read. They're like, yeah, dragline's Judas. And, you know... He sent up Jesus to, you know, get got by Dra or not Dragline, get got by Godfrey, who's just, you know, no chill. Shoots him as soon as he gets to the he gets to the window and Luke gives his last, you know, middle finger. He's I, like, What we got here is a failure to communicate and he gets shot. I think I was as shocked of that scene as I was in um Assault on Precinct thirteen. Oh the little girl. Oh yeah. Cause you, I wasn't expecting that. Cause you think, oh, he, we're gonna get like a dialogue, we're gonna get like a back and forth. But the captain, Godfrey, the bosses, zero, chill. No. They shoot him. They drag him out, and the state boys are like, "All right, you can get it. We'll we'll take him to the hospital." Like, no, no, we're gonna take him back to the prison doctor. But boss, that's an hour away. He's gonna be dead by then. We'll take care of it. And mm -hmm. they drive off. And as he drives off, he throws that Paul Newman smile out the, mm. out the back window at, at, um, at Godfrey because Godfrey gets strangled by Dragline. Yeah. And Dragline breaks the, breaks the man with no eyes, his glasses and kind of breaks that, you know, hold on them. Well, technically Luke's the one that breaks the glasses. Cause he's oh, in cause the, it rolls. He's, yeah. It rolls he's in the, the car. car. Yeah. And that, that smile, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, even, even when he's dying, he's like, I still got what I wanted. Yeah. You know, the story. And then when Dragline goes back to camp and he tells everybody the story of Cool Hand Luke and how even at the end he smiled, that Luke smile, you know, the one. And even at the end, the bosses had no idea what to do with him because he won. Mm -hmm. Even in death, he won because the story of Cool Hand Luke lives on in this prison and it gives them hope. That yeah. picture he took when he finally got out to Atlanta with the two showgirls or whatever, they're like, they treasure that because, look, so he got out. There's good, there's stuff on the other side of these walls. There's real world that we can go to on and the even, other side. And even when he explains, to, Luke explains to, like, Dragline and the other prisoners that that picture wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, it's it's a fake. It's not a real picture. And, you know, it gets torn because it's like, you know, you... You just destroyed everything that I believed in in you, that you're this badass, you're this idol, you are the, the thing that's going to free us from this prison, and then at the end, you know, with everything that, you know, ultimately he gives his life, you know, while he's in this prison, and it's just like, no, you're still our savior of this little prison in the middle of nowhere. 
Uh, and with the religious symbolism, yes. some symbolism. I don't know why I want to keep saying symbolism because that's not a word. With the where Are you the, okay? I, I'm having a day. With the tears in the picture, it forms a cross mm-hmm. over Luke in a way where with his arms over the showgirls mm-hmm. and how he's standing, it looks like he's on the cross yeah. again. And I'm like, subtlety, thy name is not... Not uh, this movie, no. Not this movie. Uh, but yeah, so this is a really good film. This is a really good film. A little heavy on the themes. They're a yeah. little blunt. Um, It's a two-hour movie, but it moves fairly fast. Yeah, this didn't feel like a slow film. Yeah. I, a lot of what it is is again it feels like a holdover from the studio era that's mm-hmm. gotten a new Hollywood sensibility but it hasn't perfected it yet. Yeah. Um I think overall my only gr- real gripes with the movie is it feels a little blunt, you know, mm-hmm. it, a lot of the symbolism's like very surface, a lot of the performances are a little broad. Mm-hmm. I mean don't be wrong. I loved George Kennedy playing uh, Dragline, but he got that real big, you know, big you, you kind accent. Have to, you have to sit in there like, what did he just say? Yeah, because he sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I get he's trying to play like the bumbling southern boy, but that's a little, like this is bordering on caricature, I do say so myself. And the, there's a lot of the things like um, Babaloo's is a little too goofy even mm-hmm. for a goofy side character yeah and it it's just one of those things where the movie is great like it's a like great movie mm-hmm. like nine out of ten easily but it's like there's some things about it where i'm like this might rub people the wrong way or it might be a little too goofy for some people now but i would still recommend it yeah especially if you're a fan of like new hollywood films and you've just never gotten around to this one mm-hmm. if you're a fan of one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah definitely watch this movie i mean if you're an old hollywood fan and you want to get into like paul newman films yeah uh if this you is want, one of the, his great performances if you want to focus on like films of the 60s uh prison movies you know yeah totally have to give this a watch um uh, yeah i'd agree you know the, the symbolism's a little heavy it's a little uh what is it that you like to say all the time? It's, um, you know, winking and, you know. Uh-oh, nudge, 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 nudge wink, wink, wink at the camera. Yeah. It's like, hey, guys, you know what we're getting ha- getting out here, huh? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, but but I think it's also, you know, a sign of the times where it's just, you know, we kind of really have to put it out there so people pick up what we're trying to throw out there. The Ver- people in the cheap seats can see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, versus now where you could be a little bit more subtle and, you know, were they trying to go for that? I don't know, were we? You know, kind of keep that conversation oh, going. Oh my up. god, I hate that so much. Because there's <laughs> modern movies now yeah. where they're like, "Hey, do you do you know what we're going for in this this cool A24 art house movie?" And I'm like, "What? Well, what do you mean? What are you going for?" Well, you would only know if you had uh, two degrees in Eastern philosophy and German folklore. That's the only way you would totally get this movie. And I'm like, "What the fuck, dude?" <laughs> you can't. I don't, I don't know what this fucking weird demon thing that only shows up in ancient Peruvian folklore. What is this thing? You gotta explain it. I need exposition sometimes. Well, if you had the two degrees, you would know. Ah, I, I hate that so much. (laughs) Oh God. There was, there was some movie I watched not that long ago. And it was, and it was one of those movies like that where it was like, oh, we're, we're an artsy movie, but we're just not going to explain anything. Yeah. Because it's like, it's just going to be weird, man. And you're just going to like, like roll with it. 
Yeah, but, but but I really liked Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, Cool Hand Luke, very good movie. No, very enjoyable. But, you know, I really enjoyed the cinematography of this movie. Just beautiful landscapes. I mean, even the beginning when he's cutting down the... Um, I still... I well, keep wanting <laughs> The to parking meters. Parking meters. I keep wanting to call them mailboxes. When he's cutting down the parking meters and... They're getting really close in shots of the the meters. When the meters flick to violation. I, I kept thinking, I'm like, man, this reminds me of Vertigo. Just the colors, the the way that it's filmed. Panavision, th- old school, Technicolor. It, it was the, yeah, this was the standard. Shooting through, you know, the reflection of the sunglasses. I was like, wow. I'm like, they really pushed the, uh, the artistic vibe on this movie where it just feels like you're not just watching... A straight laced movie it's like no you're really looking through things and experiencing things in this movie and that's a thing that i annoys me about a lot of modern movies I, this is mostly like um marvel films right yeah where it feels like the cinematography or the like camera positioning interesting shots like they're not not a lot of them are pushing the bounds of like we're gonna get really interesting shots that are communicate a lot mm-hmm. of like different things and meanings and how we place the actors the blocking they just don't feel like that. No. A lot of older movies like this do, mostly because, like, they didn't have, like, green screen and other things to kind of, like, compensate for certain things. Yeah. And, and also, like, you, cinematography has to be a certain way when you have to incorporate, like, five different larger-than-life CGI characters in the frame at the same yeah. time. So, handicap is given. But I really enjoyed watching this movie because it has that old-school, you know every shot we have to compose vibe to it but um yeah i I do agree the cinematography is very good there's only one shot in i thought was weird but overall what is your rating on this movie oh two thumbs up i'm happy i got to watch it like this was this was a good pick i didn't pick a bad movie as my pick of the month you did not i mean you still have another pick so i do and i'm i'm thinking about it but Uh next week is your pick that's right i'm gonna be picking Princess Moonoke by Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, shit. I'm excited. I've never seen this one. Neither have I. Uh, I've been excited to watch this for a while. Again, like House Moving Castle, I was pulled in with the music. So yeah. I'm hoping it's equally, you know, beautiful story-wise and musically-wise. Also, Miyazaki's coming out with a new film soon. He is. I don't know if that's coming out next year or the following year, but... We're hyped. Yeah. He's he's now become like one of your favorite directors. Oh, absolutely. But I think the one coming out soon is his last film. Oh, is is this his last one when he, before he retires? Yeah, I think this is the retiring film. So it'll be something. Could you imagine like his retirement film? It's like completely different than the rest of his canon. He's like, finally, I can do the weird, surreal David Lynch shit I've been waiting for my whole career. He's like, I, he's he like, goes out on a weird one, like a really weird one. <laughs> He, he makes a racer head, but animated. He does a zombie movie. Oh, that'd be so He's good. He's like, I've always wanted to jump into horror movies. Let's try it. Could horror you, me- well, what would What would be the most ridiculous thing that Hayao Miyazaki could do as his final film? Without, that's totally like off the grain, like out of nowhere, that you think he could actually pull off? A western. I can definitely see a Miyazaki Western, like an animated Western. That would be badass. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Mm. But yeah, next week we're going to be watching Princess Moonoke. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited too. I've, I've never seen it. I've heard nothing but good things about it, like every Miyazaki film. Same. Uh, so yeah, but if they wanted to listen to that episode, where where could they go? 
You can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yes, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube. We release new episodes every week. We release new videos at the same time. And if you wanted to follow us anywhere else, such as our socials, you can go to... The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, trivia, upcoming episodes, and just stuff on our adventures. And with that, we'll see you next week at the Film Club. Have a good week, everyone. Oh,